We good? All right, Romans chapter 8. Obviously, we're starting so late, I will not be able to do that much this morning, but we will at least return and at least try to uh, see what we can get accomplished here. Romans chapter 8. All right, now we are in a section where we are looking at six words in Romans chapter 8. And where does the first word appear? Verse 29, and what is the first word? Foreknow or, to, or foreknowledge. Second word? Predestinate. Everybody say that, or predestination. So for whom he did foreknow, this is Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also, next word, called. And whom he called, next word, Justified, and those he justified, he glorified. And the next word is found in verse 33. Whom shall I, uh, who shall I, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And there's the word election. Now, those six words are very controversial because everyone goes crazy over them and everybody gets upset because it deals with the subject of election and predestination and everybody gets upset. My uh, approach to this has been, before we get to those six words that creates all the controversy and where pastors immediately run right to those words and either try to explain them away or deal with them, before we do that, I think the text itself provides enough controversy that should make those six words not controversial. And those two concepts are found earlier there in Romans chapter 8. And what are those two concepts that I keep reminding you of over and over and over again? Okay, well, the first thing is, remember the passage, uh, the verse that talked about what God did to all of creation? He subjected it. What verse is that? Okay, Romans 8, verse 20, for the creature or creation was made subject to what? Vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. God subjected all of creation to vanity, and he did so according to whose will? His own will. In fact, the text even says, not according to the will of whom? Creation. Creation had no say-so in it. God subjected it to vanity. But he did so what? In hope. Now, why is that significant? Because if he's the one who subjected it, it demonstrates whose will overrode the will of everyone else. God's will. And if he did so in hope, what does that indicate? That he's ultimately going to bring it to a to a a hopeful situation, and the reason he can do that is because he knows the beginning from the end, and he's working all things according to his purpose and his will. What was the second concept that we looked at in there before we even get to the six words? All things work together. What verse is that? We know all things work together. What things? All the suffering mentioned in the verses prior to, all of the groanings, right? So God works all this suffering together for what? For good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For, for God to work everything out to the ultimate good would require what? If he subjected everything, right? That requires God's sovereignty and power over everything. And if he can work everything out for good, that requires God to be sovereignly involved in what? Everything. Right? Everybody remember that? So all of this brought up what theological or doctrinal concept? God's providence. Everybody remember that? Okay. Now we defined providence as 
How did we define providence? Remember, there was a, 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 a multi kind of pointed definition. We may define God's providence as follows. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he does what? Number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. Number two, cooperates with every created thing and every action discerning their distinctive practices or properties to cause them to act as they do. And number three, directs them to fulfill his purpose. Now, if you really believe in God's providence, then those six words are not difficult, correct? Those six words become difficult. And why do the six words become difficult in the minds of so many Christians? Because what begins to override the actual meaning of the words? Emotions. And once emotions get involved, then what usually gets thrown out? The meaning of words. Words don't matter anymore because now emotions get involved. But what can never dictate how you deal with text? Your emotions can't change the meaning of the text. The words mean what they say, and we have to understand them based off what they say. It doesn't matter if we don't like it. We don't change it. So those six words, nobody likes those six words, but we have to, we have to deal with it. All right. Does, does that make sense? Okay. So there is uh, the idea of providence. Now we, from this idea of providence, remember we had three subtopics and we referred to them as preservation, concurrence, and government. Everybody got that? So we started looking at preservation. What does preservation say? Preservation, God keeps all created things existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. And what two scriptures did I give you for, uh, for uh, preservation? Hebrews 1.3 and Colossians 1.16 and 17. Everybody re- remember that. All right. Then we move to concurrence. Yes? Concurrence is God cooperates with created things in every action directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. Everybody remember that? Yes? And what scripture did we look at? Let's all look up Ephesians 1.11 really quick. Ephesians 1.11. We're not going to get near as far as I wanted to, but that's okay. Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 1.11. Everybody there? All right. In whom? Or, yeah, okay. I'm in Ephesians 1.11. All right, make sure I got the right passage. Okay. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, that's God, who worketh all things after the counsel of what? His own will. What does God work according to his own will? All things. Now, that sounds wonderful, that sounds great, but last week I gave you the idea that that's not always comforting, is it? In fact, sometimes it's troubling. Sometimes it's very disturbing. Why is it sometimes troubling and disturbing? Because that would include what things? Bad things. Horrible things. Nobody likes that. I don't like it. You don't like it. What do we tend to do? When bad things happen, who do we want to get out of it, removed from, from being involved with it? God. Right? I think yesterday when I did a review of a, uh, of a Psalm 2, a sermon on Psalms chapter 2, he tried to say Satan's doing all of these things. I'm like, if Satan is doing all of those things, who's controlling, guiding, and directing? God would ultimately be the one using it because he works all things according to whose will? 
his will. It's not like Satan's will versus God's will. God's will is the one working in everything according to his will. Nobody likes that. Everybody wants to get God off the hook, but you can't get God off the hook. Why can't you get God off the hook? Because if you go far enough back, who created Satan? Who could have destroyed Satan? Who let Satan into the garden? After, after uh, he, caught, he tempted uh, Adam and Eve, what could he have done with Satan? Okay. Did he destroy him? Where is Satan? Roaming about like a seeking whom he may devour. He, and if you believe in a literal understanding of Revelation 20, he will lock him up, but only for a thousand of years. And then after a thousand years, then he's even released again. Now, what, what, that, that just sounds like, well, what are you doing? That, that, but that demonstrates who's in charge. And if God, in fact, we see in Job, who, was, who ultimately was using Satan for his purpose? God. All right, everybody understand that? All right, so I, nobody likes that, and I won't go through all the, because I can get emotional, 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 but we won't go through all of that. All right, so there's concurrence. Now, in giving scriptural proof for concurrence, um, there are some different things to look at to see this idea of, of concurrence. So let's make sure we understand. Concurrence, God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. All right, we're going to look at some different areas to show this as working. All right, everybody ready? Okay. The, the, I guess we'll call the first one, I probably want to change the name of this, but we'll just go with this, inanimate creation. We'll go with the idea of inanimate creation. All right. There are many things in creation that we think of as merely natural occurrences, yet scripture says that God caused them to happen. All right, look at, I believe it's Psalm 148. We'll go to Psalm 148. We'll at least build the concept here. There's a lot of scriptures we're going to look at. But. All right, Psalm 148.8. Tell me what you find in Psalm 148.8. Okay, well, name all the, uh, the inanimate parts of creation there. What are they? 148.8, name on them. Fire, hail, Fire, hail snow, snow, mist, mist stormy, wind. stormy winds. And what does it say? Fulfilling his word. What's the implication? They're doing God's will. God's controlling them. Or, remember the definition of concurrence? God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. Now, that sounds wonderful, but that's somewhat disturbing again, right? Why is that disturbing? Yeah, a lot of weather does a lot of really bad things, and we don't like, and we, we want to somehow, get, again, get God off the, the, the hook there, and this would imply uh, opposite. There's other scriptures that say uh, uh, somewhat the same things. Look at, uh, I think, Psalm 135. I'm just going to try to skip around and pick just some of these because I got a list here that would be way too long. All right. Psalm 135, I believe, verse 6. What do you find there? All right, whatever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth and in the seas and all deep places. He causeth what? Yeah, it's the, 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 the King James says vapors, but the other says clouds to what? 
rise or ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. What seems to, uh, what does that seem to demonstrate? God is working everything according to his own will. All right, everybody see that? Look at, um, and we already looked at that one. Look at, I believe, hang on, let me look at one more here. I think you get the idea. I mean, we could, we could pull up scripture, a lot of scriptures to show this. Um, yeah, that, we could go a different direction with that one. We won't. Let's look at, uh, how about Psalm 104, verse 14. Psalm 104.14. Everybody there? What does it say? He caused the grass to grow for the cattle. All right? Plants for the service of man, and he may bring forth food out of the earth. What is that seeming to indicate? God's the one causing it to grow. God's the one causing it to, to work the way it does. All right? We could, we could go on. Uh, we could, we could look at, I think, Matthew 5, uh, 45. God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Who's that showing is in charge of rain? God. Who's in charge of the sun? God. Who's in charge of grass growing? God. Who's in charge of the, st- of the storms? God. All right. That is concurrence. Now, everybody, on one hand, we like it. On the other hand, we, I want to make sure you understand that this is a double-edged sword. When we get into this idea of God's providence, everybody loves it. Like, you can preach it in a way that everybody will say amen, but if I bring in the other, people will say, I don't like it. But you've got that The Bible doctrine, what does Bible doctrine not care about? Your emotions, right? They don't care about your emotions. It's the way it is, and you got to deal with the consequences. It's wonderful that God's in charge of everything, but then that raises lots of very difficult questions, right? Because there are places where people are literally starving to death and dying because of famine and plague. Well, he could send rain to fix the problem about how quickly. And he doesn't. Why not? Do you have an answer? No. Do I have an answer? No. Does any, if any Christian tells you they have an answer, what should you do? Run from them as fast as you can because they're crazy. All right? All right? They're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Just get away from them. They don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I don't understand why God does the things he does. I don't understand it. I wish we could. But not understanding it doesn't mean something's not true. I don't understand math. I think it's true. All right, maybe, okay, all right, maybe, possibly, all right? There's a lot of things you guys don't understand. Doesn't mean it's not true, correct? Oh, wait, I guess it doesn't work the other way. It only works for me. There's things you don't understand. Doesn't mean they're, they're not true. Does that make sense? I could go there's a lot of scripture. So when it comes to inanimate creation, who controls it? God. Everybody got it? All right, and what is that called? Concurrence. What is the definition of concurrence? When, when I hear that, that pause, then that means I've, I've got to go back and repeat myself 300 times, right? God cooperates with created things in what actions? Every action directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, all right? There's inanimate ob- uh, objects, all right? We'll add a second one. Animals. 
right? Scripture affirms that God feeds the wild animals of the field. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they, they fill up with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. And we, they have a reference here to Psalm 104, 27 through 29. And what, is, uh, what does Matthew 6, 26 say about the birds of the air? air? He feeds them. He feeds them, Matthew 6, 26. And what did he say? That not one sparrow falls to the ground without your father's... Matthew 10, 29. He knows when he... He knows. He's in charge of it all. So who's in control of animals? Sounds good. Is that always, is that always satisfying? No, I remember I, I, I showed you that I, I, I caused all kinds of... I mean, this is years and years and years ago. I ticked off, I, I think, every church in, in, in Abilene... Okay, but some church in Abilene was doing some little vacation Bible school thing where they're going to teach the kids some thing about, hey, God feeds, you know, our, God's going to take care of you because he, take care, he takes care of the birds of the field, so he's going to take care of you, right? So you're guaranteed you're going to be fed. Well, first of all, that's a problem. Well, why? False promise, because how many people die a day from starvation? You can look it up whenever you want. It's startling how many people on this earth die every day because of starvation. So I took the famous picture, this photographer. There's this child, I think it was in Africa, I don't know where, looks, I mean, you can just see the ribs, like literally starving to death, like literally starving to death. And he's, in bat, he's on the ground on his knees, got his hands over his head, and guess what's standing right there looking at him? A vulture. Guess what the vulture is waiting for? For the kid to die. And then who's going to be fed? Yeah, that's a disturbing image, is it not? Who's going to feed the birds of the air? What is he going to feed them with? Yeah, that, you see how... Now, now, you're not supposed to talk about that in church. You see, you're not supposed to say that in church. You're not supposed to do that. But why, why give a false understanding? You know what I'm saying? I know that that... I see just saying that. I already got people on the internet who are being like, what? I can't believe you said that. Well, everybody always gets upset with everything I say. But the point is, is that I can't help that. Right? I don't know. I, every day I'm in, you know, every day I'm in, in the car, even driving here to do broadcast or driving home, and I'll be, sometimes I'll listen to talk radio, and I, I probably 50 times a day they give that commercial about, you know, for 10 cents a day, you can provide uh, drinking water for people in, in countries that don't have clean drinking water because I don't remember how 25,000 people, you know, a year die without having clean drinking water. Okay? Well, They've been playing that same commercial for like literally 20 years, okay? I've heard it every day. Well, guess what? That means what? That not everyone's going to be fed and not everyone's going to be provided for. That, that's disturbing. Now, that, doesn't, that does not, the Bible would not say that calls into question God's existence or that calls into question God's ability. That would say that that calls into question why God would do what he does. And I don't have a good answer and neither do you. Yes? Right, I, I know that I'm preaching this doctrine in a way that other churches don't, but other churches give the Disney version of God's providence. I don't like the Disney version of God's providence. Just like if you watch a Disney movie about high school, that's not what high school looks like. Right? That's not how it works. It's great in a Disney movie, but it's not the way it works. Right? Some people like their movies to be as far from reality as possible. Some people like their movies to really hit home and be really close to reality. 
right? Well, when it comes to theology, what should you want? Not the Disney version. And the Disney version of God's providence is not always comforting. Would everyone agree? I, I, I've, I've not found it always comforting. Maybe you have, all right? So there's an animate uh, creation. There's animals. Um, here's a third one. <laughs> Random or so-called chance events. Seemingly random or chance events. From a human perspective, the casting of lots, which would be the modern equivalent of rolling the dice or flipping a coin, is the most typical of random events that occur in the universe. But scripture affirms that the outcome of such an event is from God. Look at uh, Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 16.33. Proverbs 16.33. And if I got the wrong reference, I'll, I'll, I'll try to find the right one. I believe it's Proverbs 16.33. Okay. And what does it say in Proverbs 16.33? The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof. All right. The lot is cast, but who makes the decision? God. The lot. They make a reference to the scripture. This is the way they translate it or the way they quote it. I'll just, I'll read it this way. It'll make sense. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is holy from the Lord. That means even in the most random events, who's in charge? Again, that sounds comforting, doesn't it? But have you ever had what appeared to be a random event not go your way? Okay, I guess I'm the only one. Okay, right. I, I can think of a lot of things that's happened in my life that doesn't, didn't make any sense. Of, you know, it, it seemed apparently random, but that's the way it worked. Now, sometimes I can look back and go, you know what? It's probably glad that it worked out that way. Probably good that it worked out. Like when I, on January, whatever it was, 2003, when I was at, you know, the 7th Medical Group, Dice Air Force Base, and I walked down the hallway, I can, you know, I can even take you to the place today, and I walk in there, and I'm, because I got to get my, you know, anthrax shot, because I'm going to be sent to some undisclosed location in Iraq to set up a decontamination center in case they use chemical weapons, and so I go in, roll up my sleeve, and get that shot, I'm like, oh, wow, that didn't even hurt, okay, that's fine, then that night, we go out to do our taxes at H&R Block, and I'm like, oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling good, that's not, that's not good, and then by Sunday, by the time I'm done with my sermons, the you know, family's like, I don't think you know what you're even talking about anymore. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think things are, I don't know what's going on. And then I, I remember making it to church, our church, I'm making it to work, okay? I make it to work, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it in the building. I'm thinking, and I kept thinking, I'm going to walk into the building, and I'm going to immediately take a left, go into the bathroom, and I'm going to pull the alarm because I need help. Like, I need, I, got, I need help. Something's not right. And I make it into the record sen- uh, section because we're having our morning meeting. And I'm sitting in the record section. I'm sitting up on a stool. And then someone starts talking to me, and it sounds like... And I'm like, what? And it's all like this black cloud. And then that's it. I don't remember anything else. And then they call a code blue. They think I'm going to die. I'm having a seizure. And it's the end. That's, that seems random because of all the people who've ever gotten an anthrax vaccine, guess who was the first person to have a seizure as a result of it? Here. Seems random. Now, on one hand, I look back and go, well, that, and it's caused me lots of problems. But there's other ways I look at it and go, that's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I wouldn't be a full-time pastor if it wasn't for that. 
Right? I mean, that's, that's the main thing that supports me. The, re- the reason I did not get deployed, even though I was serving as a pastor, is because that ha- if that would happen, I would have been deployed and the church would have been without a pastor for whoever knows how long. Right? So in some ways it seemed random, but I can look back and go, that's great. I can look back and see the positive, right? I see the negative, but I see the positive. Guess what? There's other random events you look back and guess what you can't see? You can't see the positive. You can't see the positive. You'll never understand the positive. But random events, who's in charge? Who? God, all right. Next, all right. Um, This one, this one gets complicated, all right? Now, I'm going to go with Grudem here, okay? I'm following Grudem, and, but some things I'm changing, but some of this, I'm going to, I'm, this next one I'm going to go with because I don't know if I completely understand it. Right? So every, we're, we're still under concurrence. Everybody understand what concurrence is? We're looking at concurrence, how it d- deals with inanimate creation, how it deals with animals, how it deals with random events. Guess what he says about the next one? All right, see if you can try to wrap your mind around this. Are you ready? Right? You're, are you ready to have possibly a seizure or aneurysm? Okay, because this one's difficult. Events fully caused by God and fully caused by the creatures as well. (laughs) Events fully caused by God and fully caused by the creatures as well. I guess we're going to need what? We're going to need him to explain this, right? All right, thinking caps on. So far, so good. Here we go. For any of those foregoing events... Rain, snow, grass, uh, sun, stars, the feeding of animals, or the casting of lots, we could at least, in theory, give a completely satisfactory natural explanation. A botanist can detail the factors that cause grass to grow, such as sun, moisture, temperature, nutrients, and the soil. Yes, Scripture says that God causes the grass to grow. Someone dealing with weather can give a complete explanation of factors that cause rain, humidity, temperature, atmospheric pressure, etc., and can even produce rain in a weather laboratory. Yet, Scripture says that God causes the rain. A physicist with accurate information on the force and direction uh, a pair of dice was rolled could fully explain what caused the dice to give the results they did. Yet, Scripture says who brings about the result? God. This shows us that it is incorrect for us to reason that if we know the natural cause of something in the world, then God did not cause it. Everybody understand that? We may understand the natural cause, but we know ultimately who causes it. God. That doesn't mean the natural cause isn't there, but who causes the natural cause to work the way it does? God. So far, so good? All right. Rather, if it rains, we should... So, in other words, if it rains, who should we thank? God, if the crops grow, who should we think? All right. And all of these and all and all of these events, it's not as though the events were was partially caused by God and partially by factors in the created world. If that were the case, then we would always be looking for some small feature of an event that we cannot explain and attribute that that I say a percent of the cause to God. But surely this is not a correct view. Rather these passages affirm that such events are entirely caused by God, yet we know in another sense, that they are entirely caused by factors in the creation as well. The, now listen here, everybody thinking? The doctrine of concurrence affirms that God directs and works through 
the distinctive properties of each created thing so that these things themselves bring about the results that we see. And this way, it is possible to affirm that in one sense, events are fully 100% caused by whom? God, but in another sense, they're fully caused by what? The creature or nature as well. However, divine and, and, and thanks, kids, for answering the questions. That's always awesome. All right. However, divine and creaturely cause works in different ways. The divine cause of each event works as an invisible behind the scenes, directing the cause and therefore can be called the primary cause that, that uh, plans and initiates everything that happens. But the created thing brings about actions in a way consistent with the creature's own properties, ways that can often be described by us or by professional scientists who carefully observe the process. This could be called the secondary cause. So these creaturely factors and properties could be called the secondary cause uh, of everything that happens, even though they're cause that are evidence to, uh, to our observation. So how many causes? Primary, secondary. What, how can we say it? Is God the cause? Yes. Is nature, the natural cause, also the cause? Yes. How can they both be true? <clears throat> concurrence. That's the only way to d- deal with it. Because concurrence says God directs the natural properties to work the way they do. Does that make sense? So you study science and you're like, that's the way it works. Is that wrong to say? No. But what would we be the added part we would say? It happened. What's the primary reason it happens? God. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, is that, that doesn't sound too controversial. Right? Everybody got that? Okay. Just keep that in mind because this may come in later when we're dealing with some other <laughs> issues. All right? Okay. And then, I see, I think we got one more. Ah. I'll mention two more, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, only be able to briefly mention one. All right? The next, so number five, the affairs of nations. Scripture also speaks of God's providential control of human affairs. We read that God makes nations great great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. That's Job 12, 23. You know how my feelings are. I don't like quoting Job to prove anything, but Job 12, 23, right? Dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 22, 28. I like that one because that one makes more sense, all right? Psalms 22, 28. He has determined the time of existence and the place of every nation on earth. For Paul says he made from one every nation of men to live on all the face of the earth, having determined an allotted period and boundaries of their habitation. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and Acts chapter 14, verse 16. All right? And then one more. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. Daniel 4, 34 to 35, and after Nebuchadnezzar repented, this is what he said, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will and the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? All right, so what's another way of stating this? Who controls the affairs of the nations? God. Who controls the affairs of the nations? God. And what do we learn about government? How does government get put in power? 
who removes them from power. I know you want to think you do it, okay? But you don't. God does, all right? Now, we may vote. That would be what? Secondary cause would be the primary cause. God, all right? Does everybody understand that? All right. And then they got one other area. We'll just have to stop with this one. All aspects of our life. (laughs) All aspects of our life. It is amazing to see the extent to which Scripture affirms that God brings about various events in our lives. For example, our dependence on God to give food each day is affirmed every time we pray, give us this day, which is affirming that who ultimately provides it? God. Who's the secondary cause? Maybe us, but God's the primary cause. God is in control of every aspect of life. And what was the key verse? Go back to Ephesians 1.11 if you need to look at it. Who works everything, all things according to his will? God. Ephesians 1.11. Now, that means, again, what, this is called the doctrine of what? Concurrence, which is a part of providence. And what is concurrence again? All right, God is working in everything for things to work as they do. God is involved in every aspect. That is God's providence. Now, here's the thing, and I'll, and I'll end with this because we're out of time. I'll, just a couple of things I want you to just take from this, all right? We didn't get near as far as I wanted to, but let's at least try to take some things from this. Once again, this just established that whose will is in charge? God's will. And why is this so significant? Because if you don't, if you understand this now, when you get to those six words, is it going to be controversial? No. And what have we already, have we already seen that God is in charge of everything prior to those six words? He subjected all of creation to vanity against their will. It wasn't their will. And he's, and he did so in hope, meaning he's going to work it all out and he works all things according to good. Why can he do all of that? Because who's in charge? God. All right. So, just understand that. But I, 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 another thing I want you to make sure you just remember from this, and, and just make sure you understand, this is a positive doctrine, but it has a lot of negative implications, and it raises deep questions that I will never be able to answer for you, and you'll never be able to answer. But our inability to understand it does not destroy it. So many times, young people, when they get older, you know what, I can't believe in a God that would do this and do this and do that. If God really existed, then he wouldn't do this and he wouldn't do that. That You don't destroy the belief in God because God doesn't operate according to your plan. God's existence is not determined by him operating according to the way you want, right? Any kid who has a parent, does your parents always do what you want? No. Do your parents still exist? Yes. Correct? All right. So make sure you understand that. That just because God doesn't act the way you want to does not destroy his existence. In fact, if you throw out God, what are you left with? Are you still left with all of those negative things in life? But now what are you left with? A, one, no real, they have no purpose and no meaning. And number two, you don't really have a ground to say if, the, if those horrible things are actually evil or bad. You just have to say, They are because it would require some moral standard to be able to assign if it was moral or bad, right? Was it bad for for the Germans to exterminate over 6 million Jews? I say it was evil. But if you throw out God,
You're going to say it's bad? What, 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 who determines bad? You can say it was evil? Who defines evil? Because if the people decided that it was okay in Germany, then would it have not been okay? You say, well, it was, we don't think it was okay. But who are we to impose our morality upon them unless there's a transcendent Do you see how you, you get into that? So in many cases, a lot of people throw out God and they still run around and make all kinds of moral judgments that that's wrong, that's bad, that's wrong, that's bad, that's wrong, that's evil. I'm like, who's giving you the right to go point that everything's rad, bad and evil? You don't have any moral standing. And not only that, the evil's still going to happen in the world. You throw out God and you're like, well, now I feel better because, because now um, I... I I, I don't know what you get from that because you still have all the pain and evil and suffering in the world. You just have no purpose or reason for it or no hope. Christianity, now I would, I would, I would prefer that God would have just subjected the world not to vanity but subjected the world to something great and awesome and there'd be no suffering and no more pain but for some reason... That's not the way it works. I don't understand it. I will never understand it. And I, and to try, and I, but guess what I'm not going to do? Let me state it this way. The complexities that we find in God's actions cannot be answered with Christian cliches and bumper stickers. The complexities that we find in God's actions cannot be answered by Christian cliches and bumper stickers or t-shirts or slogans. Christians always want an easy answer to make everyone feel better, but their answers are usually complete and utter garbage. We always want everything to make sense. As someone who's been studying theology for my, well, from a teenager into my an entire adult life, guess what I know is my job is just to figure out what the text says. If it creates 900 problems, that's not my problem. I can't make the text fix a problem. I can only make the text declare the truth about an issue. Does that make sense? There's lots of scriptures. I'm like, I, that creates 900 problems. Okay, so, so you want to do away with the truth of scripture to fix the problem? You don't fix problems that scripture creates by denying the truth of scripture. Like, I don't like the doctrine of providence. So throw out the doctrine of providence, but we got scripture after scripture that clearly teaches the doctrine of providence, yes? So I can't throw it out. Does the doctrine of providence create 3,000 problems? We were having a big discussion about the word uh, ecclesia and church and all the problems that creates. You think that creates problems? The doctrine of providence creates 9 billion more problems. Because there's people every day who suffer horrific things and, and, and it's always easy for us to say, well, that's just, you know, they should just get over it. It's God's sovereignty. Yeah, it's easy to say until you're looking into the face of someone whose life's been destroyed and it's not so easy to say that anymore, right? In fact, now you don't even want to mention God's providence. In fact, now what do you want to say? Well, that's not God. That, that, that was Satan. Well, we got, we got to somehow, because now we feel we don't know what to say. You don't change doctrine just to make everyone feel better. You've got to deal with the problems that, that those scriptures create. Does that make sense? I know, look, that's the most important theological lesson I can teach you. Every scripture you open, you're going to be like, oh man, that creates 9,000 problems. You, you don't go change it to fix the 9,000 problems. You've got to learn to live with the 9,000 problems. And if you can't live with the 9,000 problems, guess what I would suggest? Don't study theology. 
It's like, if you want answers, don't study philosophy, right? Philosophy is about questions more than answers. And if you can't handle that, don't study it. And if you could think that theology is going to fix problems, you should not even bother picking up a theology book because every theology creates a million problems. Yes, I, I would argue it does, okay? It, a, a million. Providence creates a million problems. You've got to be willing to deal with that. Truth, again, what does truth not care about? Your emotions. It does not care that you're going to be depressed. It doesn't care. Just get over it. It's, it's, it you've got to figure out what the truth is. The, the reason I love truth is truth doesn't care about me. That's why I love truth. It doesn't care what I feel. It's, it's objective, right? It's right here. Okay, what does it say? What does that word mean? End of story. When I, when I was fighting with people in, in, in the church in Nebraska over election and predestination, I'm like, what does the word mean? What does predestinate? And they kept trying to, well, what about this? And what about this? And that? what does the word mean? Okay, just tell me what the word means. If the word means that, then I don't care all the problems you say. Well, that, that could mean this, and that could mean this, and that could mean, what does the word mean? I know I irritate people when, what does the word mean? Because the word, that's what it means. Now, guess what I have to do? Then start from there and then do what? What's the implication? What's the implication? What's the implication? What's the implication? Are some of those implications going to be good? Yeah, there's some good implications from the doctrine of election. Agreed? Are there some negative ones? (laughs) Yes, they are very negative ones, Right? It, 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 it's, it's very negative. Do you change it because you don't like the negative? No, that's not the way it works. All right. And hopefully you're going to see this because I'm trying to prepare you when we get to those six words. You're going to be like, okay, nothing controversial here. All the controversy was prior to those words. Does that make sense? Okay, All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we, I apologize for starting late, Lord, because the people deserve more uh, from this. But I pray, Lord, that what was given will be beneficial and that uh, hopefully uh, next week we can move this forward and get ready to start these six words that are so important for every Christian to understand. Pray that you give us the desire to know them and to understand them, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...